Hello and welcome to section two, episode 16 of LUFC Fans on Podcast. I'm Sam Isles. And I'm Jack Ellis. And each episode, we'll be talking to the next Leeds United player or manager about their time at the club. All of our episodes can be found on our LUFC Fans on YouTube channel, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And last episode was on the first section of episode 16 with David Haig, where he spoke to us about negotiating on behalf of GFH to purchase Leeds United from Ken Bates as well as speaking about the finances involved behind the deal, which involved investment from the Iranian government. This section, David speaks to us about his attempt to purchase a club alongside Massimo Cellino in 2014, as well as the legal implications which followed and his 22 months in a Dubai prison following his departure from Leeds United. It was believed that you and a consortium of other businessmen, one of which was Massimo Cellino, had attempted to purchase Leeds from GFH with the business name Sport Capital. What made yeah. you attempt to do that? Because at the time, GFH wouldn't have been in charge for Leeds very long. Well, basically, everything that I've mentioned before, you know, I was there as managing director and they all their attempts to bring investors in were not working um, for, for all sorts of various reasons. Um, and, you know, the club was in desperate need of investment to take it forward. Um, and it was clear that, you know, no sensible investor wanted to be alongside GFH in investment. You know, people would either want to take all of it or, or have nothing to do with them. So, you know, I was speaking to Andrew Flowers, who was from Enterprise Insurance, who was then the main shirt sponsor, um, but also had financed the club quite a lot with loans. And some of the other kind of um, people that have supported the club in the past. And I said, look, you know, we don't actually need to get that much funding together to be able to take it from them. And I'm sure that we can get you know, um, you know, good terms that we can pay it in, in, in certain amounts. We can bring proper investors in because part of the problem in getting people in was them. You know, you know, if you want to bring in an investor for 20, 30 percent, you know, et cetera, like, like, for instance, you know, anyone, they just didn't want to didn't want to invest alongside GFH because of their reputation and because of the lack of knowledge. And because at the end of the day, they're a bank and they, they wanted to make money. So I felt it was better to get them out of the picture, get a new group of people um, and you know people that were involved in the club had been involved in the club and then at that point try and bring the investors in and you could have sensible conversations with them and that was the aim and then um you know at the time one of the people we approached and he agreed was was massimo who was going to be about less than a third because we, we knew about the issues that we might have problems with um getting approved if it was more than that massimo obviously wanted more than that and you know kind of the rest is history in a way because i mean behind our back gf despite the fact that we had a contract um, you know, GFH did a deal with Massimo and, and breached our contract, and then that ensued all sorts of litigation and, and, and things like that. Um, so that that's how that started. It was more out of the urgent need to get rid of them so that we could actually get people in to help the club go forward. It was reported that the agreement between both GFH and yourself with Sport Capital was extremely close, like you mentioned, and that the two parties had entered a period of exclusivity. However, during meetings with GFH, secret cameras and microphones were found in boardroom and toilets, and even spies were reported. Was that true? Yeah, a lot. Of, I mean, a lot of that was true. It was all. It was. It, you know, it was crazy times. I mean, you, you know, when GFH purchased the club, they hired what are called corporate intelligence, which is basically, as you quite rightly said, ex-spies that came in. I think one of them was pretending to be an accountant. Um, and they, one evening, there was a period of time, one evening when they entered everybody's offices and copied all their hard drives. Um, you know, and I mean, it, it got ridiculous. Um, and 
but that was the that that was the thing. Rather than just getting their heads down, focusing on getting investment, getting someone that knew about football recruitment, running a football club, focusing on the things that they needed to do, they were focusing all these paranoid peripheral nonsense, um, you know, and, and tantrums and tiaras and everything like that. And it was it was literally like a circus. Um, you, you know, there would be literally one crazy thing after another, after another, after another, and there was no stability. Um, so, like I said, I mean, that was why we, we decided, right, we've got to try and do something. We've got to try and this is this this can't continue, um, and, you know, for, 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 for all sorts of reasons. So hence why we, we, we tried to put that together. I mean, the deal was actually done. The contract was signed. The first payment was paid. Um, but basically, the, I mean, I won't go into too much detail with it because it ended up in, in, in litigation links. But, um, you know, Massimo always wanted more than the third that he was going to get with, with our consortium. And... GFH, if they could increase their um, the money they were getting, which they ultimately did, then that's good for them. And like you just mentioned, the the deal was close because on Friday, the thirty first of January, a lot of events happened, which seems surreal for most Leeds fans. A day which is commonly known as Mad Friday. What can you remember about that day? Because it was when Massimo Cellino was getting chased around Ellen Road by supporters in a taxi, and McDermott was getting sacked and reinstated by various different people at the club. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was just, it was crazy. I mean, at the time, you know, I was managing director, but you know, we had a CEO a guy called Paul Hunt, um, and 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 obviously Brian there as manager, and and you know, the director's still there, and and obviously Salah as chairman. So we should have had, you know, a stable and decent level of people that should have prevented that from happening. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't been on a holiday for a very very long time, you know, even for a few days. So. You know, I decided to go away for literally a couple of days um, to Switzerland with some friends because I thought it was, well, it was quite near. I can get back quickly. I'm literally, uh, uh, you know, up a mountain um, when I start to find out what's gone on. Um, and, you know, it was it was kind of shock because I was, you know, I was, couldn't believe what was happening because, you know, he hadn't, he wasn't the owner of the club. He had been, I think, misinformed by his lawyer that he was. Um, and, you know, he had also yeah got quite worried i think about certain things um and i mean i don't know how on earth a lawyer could have told him that he owned the club when he <laughs> clearly didn't have been improved um and then as, as boy right so he started firing people you know i mean paul hunt was one of the people he fired obviously um you know players managers etc um and you know then you had um you know ross mccormack on sky and, i mean it was just crazy so i'm desperately trying to get back as quickly as possible so i just left literally left um switzerland and, and went straight to the airport and then my phone starts going crazy from people trying to contact me. I'm trying to make phone calls to go out. And it was just, it was just crazy. Um, and then ultimately managed to get back to Leeds and sort it out. You know, I got Brian back fairly quickly. Um, uh, Paul, I don't think came back after that. I think it was too, too, you know, too much of an issue. Um, but we got Brian back and I think, you know, I think it was Neil only, I think it was Neil that did one match and then we got Brian back for the one after. Um, but it was an unnecessary, complete and utter distraction and waste of time. Um, but that was what used to happen. I mean, whether it was Massimo was there or whether it was because of Isham, it was those types of dramas that often they didn't get public, but that was the type of thing that would be going on behind the scenes. You know, it talked about, again, you know, trying to fire Brian McDermott over losing, you know, um, that, that match. I mean, you know, had that gone public, you can imagine the, the complete and utter madness of that day. So there's lots of that behind the scenes, but we kept it, you know, we tried to keep it, not getting to that level, um, but it was it was a very very crazy day, um, and and <laughs> what do you say? I mean, someone that, that that doesn't own a business goes in and fires people. I mean, 
what were the people doing leaving in the first place? I mean, that was one of the, the, the comments that I had. I was obviously swearing at a lot of the people that were meant to be there and managing the place because why on earth would they leave when they know very well the person doesn't run it? Um, but, you know, that's past. And, but it, it was an absolutely mad day. And the following day, even though, like you said, Chilino had no control during that time, the following day it was announced that Chilino had purchased a stake in Leeds United. They reported 75% with Eleonora Sport, something something which he obviously owned and you had no influence in, despite starting being partners with Sports Capital. How did that breach, How did that divide happen and how did he go from being in a consortium with you to purchasing the stake on his own? I mean, I don't want, like I said, I mean, there's litigation was in that thing. I mean, basically, for want of a better phrase, GFH went, um, breached the contract with Sport Capital. I mean, you, you can probably see that there was a claim issue, um, and, and sold it for Massimo. Um, and, you know, it, it put me in the most awkward situation, um, because obviously I, you know, was former employee of GFH, been managing the club. There was lots of conflicts with that relationship. Um, but I put together my own consortium, which included people like the main shirt sponsor, who had also loaned a lot of money um, to, to Leeds as well, and that was still in there. Um, he was obviously very you know, upset at what um, GFH had done. Um, so I had all these different hats, and it was a real position of conflict. Um, you know, so you know, it, you know, from a from a consortium perspective, I should have left. But you know, had I done that, it would have been even worse. So I decided the best thing to do, um, as the, the, the sport capital one wasn't going ahead was to ensure that there was someone that owned the club um, that, that could help fund the bills because they were they were piling in. And I think at the time, Andrew from, from Enterprise had issued a winding up receipt, you know, winding up petition against the club and the bank accounts were frozen. So there was no money, he couldn't pay the wages again. You know, it was a, pretty much a disaster. Um, and obviously Massimo was there, um, had the funding, um, had experience. There were obviously issues with Massimo, which everyone would be more, more than aware with, but there was no one else. It was, there was no one else at that time that could fund the club as Massimo could. So, you know, I made a decision that I would stay and, and do my, do my utmost to make sure he got approved. Um, but that, that, you know, I mean, even though they wanted me to, I think they wanted me at one point to stay for a, a year or two after it was actually written into Massimo's purchase contract that I was, the, I was basically going to have, I was managing director, I think for another two years or something like that. Um, you know, I'd already made my mind up that after Massimo got approved that I wanted to leave. Um, you know, because it was just—I just couldn't. The craziness was just off the charts. I mean, it, it, you can't even. It was bad enough under GFH, and it, it certainly didn't get better when Massimo came in. Um, and it was, you know, really kind of a toxic and completely nuts time where there was just absolutely no stability. Um, and again, things done on the whims of, of you know, you know, some of the. You know, it was just really, 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 really. Very terrible times. And like Sam said, you weren't part of the consortium, which was Eleonora Sports, but how important do you think it was for Leeds United to find a new investor as soon as possible? And what do you think could have been the implications, say, if Salino or any other investor hadn't have come along for another year or so? Well, that was, that was, that was it's like I said, I mean, that, that's why I decided to, you know, um, kind of, in, in, you know, stay because. There was no one else. There were all these kind of so-called investors at the time that managed, you know, got lots of publicity and pretended they were really interested in the club and got ex-football players. And, oh, we're going to buy the club. It's going to be great for Leeds. They got, I can't remember the name, but, you know, they got the guy that was the head of, you know, um, kind of Leeds tourism on board and stuff like that. But they didn't have any money. 
you know, all these people that came forward had no money, and that would just be another GFH. You know, the only person that actually had the money and the ability to fund it, and you know, had experience in, in football before was Massimo. Um, by all, you know, absolutely, you know, not not perfect at all, um, but was the only one. And had he not been there, um, you know, it was it was a worry because GFH were really not able to continue funding it as they were. It was causing ridiculous problems. I mean, in, in terms of financing, you know, it was there, but the board wouldn't prove Hisham putting any more money in. So Hisham's bosses were saying no more money. Um, and you're basically hurtling towards a brick wall. So there was a, the, the, you know, obviously a desperate search for someone and then Massimo comes along. Um, and so that's why I stayed and, and, and got back through and, and stayed for a little bit afterwards. When Massimo acquired his 75% stake at Leeds, he had to take a football league owners and directors test, as did GFH when they purchased the club in 2012. A, a test which is designed to prevent unfit individuals and businesses from purchasing football clubs. But both GFH and Massimo passed the test, despite GFH clearly having insufficient funds, which you spoke about, and Cellino having various past convictions. So do you think the requirements of that test need to be altered and become stricter? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was there, like, like I said, I was there and, and uh, you know, all the times with, with Massimo. I even sat in one of the meetings with him in the, the, the football league. Um, and, you know, for me, from my own experience, but also what we see you know, around football today, and you look at, for instance, Newcastle, um, that was about to be purchased by, you know, an entity owned by the Crown Prince of Saudi, who, as we all know, um, you know, recently gave instructions, well, not recently, but gave instructions to chop up a journalist in the, the Saudi embassy and various other human rights abuses. We see, you know, Derby County now again, looking like it's going to, well, you know, going to be owned by the UAE. So they've been improved. Um, you know, it, it should be, as it says on the tin, they should be fit and proper to own such an important part of, 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 of you know, of, of England, as it were, in terms of the football clubs. And, you know, I think there's an awful lot of people for all sorts of reasons that are not fit and proper. And the test is, to me, not fit for purpose. You know, and we talked about inclusivity earlier on and I just touched on you know, the UAE in Derby County. But if you look at look at Man City, for instance, how can it be fit and proper that a club can be owned by a country that has the death sentence for being gay? If you're a gay football player in Man City and your your owners literally run a country and have the death sentence for being gay, I mean, they, they don't use the death sentence, but it's there. How are you going to feel if you wanted to come out? You know, what kind of message does that send if we're saying that these people are fit and proper to run our, you know, the, the football in England, you know, which which is a, you know, in such a special place in many people's hearts? That's not fit and proper. And that's just if you look at that element you don't look at the financial element or the criminal conviction element so the fact that those types of people can get through because they have lots of money they can pay for expensive lawyers um you know it's not fit and proper and and that's something that i think needs you know huge huge kind of overhaul um and it's something that you know we've we've written to um you know the, the fa and the football league about um and you know you're going to see i think with the with, with the fa with the replacement of the the, the outgoing chairman for his his, his somewhat ridiculous comments is, you know, there's an opportunity now to bring in some new fresh blood in the leadership that can, in the regulation that can perhaps look at things like this um, and, and see whether it's appropriate that we're, you know, approving or we're likely to approve, um, you know, the acquisition of football clubs like by Newcastle, by, by, you know, tyrants and despots. 
And despite your failure to purchase Leeds, you ended up staying at the club as managing director for the early stages of uh, Celino's tenure, when it was confirmed that he would be buying the club, but it wasn't ratified at the time. However, you did end up resigning in April 2014. What changed between January, when the takeover had been lodged, to April when Salino finally arrived because it was reported that Leeds players weren't getting paid and that Salino was in and out of court in Italy. However, you were still in the same role in the middle of it all. Yeah, I mean, I I was I was kind of just you know I'd been through two years of an absolute circus crazy experience, you know, and and I just it got to the stage where it was becoming ridiculous and 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 the things that I was dealing with on a daily basis. You know, gone from the sublime to the ridiculous, and I won't go into too much detail. Um, um, but it, it just it just got nuts. And at the time, as 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 I, as I now know, but didn't then, GFH because you know I had a good relationship with Massimo. Um, you know, because I'd helped him by the club and I you know supported him, etc. But GFH were behind the scenes for reasons which we now know, obviously poisoning his mind against me, so saying all this kind of crap um and, and and stuff and everything and then he also was a little bit paranoid he started to believe it so mine and his relationship became somewhat bad um and i just for me it was it just wasn't worth it i just didn't want to stay there anymore it was you know you, you had still gfh in the background you now had massimo it it just and aside from everything else it wasn't fun you know there was someone there with money i knew that he could get the right people in if he wanted to pay for it um so, you know, I felt there was no longer any need for me to be there and that the club would be fine eventually. Um, and so, you know, I just had had enough, basically. And as, as, as I mean, one day, I mean, we'll go into more detail, but um, yeah. And after your resignation, there was a clear falling out between you and Chilino about some of the comments that he said. And yeah. There was an obvious falling out between Sports Capital and GFH as well as after your resignation, Sports Capital attempted to sue them for thirty-three million pounds. Would you be able to say why that was? Yeah, I mean, I've touched on it before. I mean, basically, there was a contract in place for Sport Capital to purchase the club, and Sport Capital had done everything it was required to do. GFH breached the contract and sold it to someone else. But you know, it's the same as if you buy whatever whatever type of thing that you buy in the world that you, know, you agree a deal, um, and someone breaches it, and so it was for 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 that essentially. And on the other hand. GFH accused yourself and Sports Capital of stealing three million pounds, which eventually resulted with you spending almost two years in a prison in Dubai and all the terrible things that happened to you there. What was that time for you like, and how did them events unfold? Yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, I've spoken about it extensively, and, and 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 you know, I won't I won't bore your listeners with going into too much detail about it anymore because it's kind of for me, it's, it's something in the past. Um, you know, it was a very bad experience for me, um, and. You know, it's one that is still in kind of litigation at the moment. I mean, we're just going to, on my case, we're just going to the European Court of Human Rights and we're um, looking at issuing new proceedings in the UK um, against those that thawed me out there and, and set me up, and that includes some of the law firms involved. Um, but as that's all going on, I won't go into too much detail of it. Although it is, all I can say about that is, you know, you can imagine being in litigation for seven years is tiring and, and you, you just really do get fed up with it. But, you know, something that I, the reason I keep doing it is because you know, you've got to get justice. Um, you know, but some in in a very strange way. I mean, as I said before, it's it, you can kind of say it going from the dark side. I mean, you know, what that experience enabled me to do was a very negative experience. You know, when I came back, um, because I was perhaps one of the most high-profile people at the time that had been locked up in Dubai. You know, and 
of those 22 months, five months of it was for so-called Twitter abuse that I was locked up for. You know, I then found when I got back that I got a lot of people that were also suffering similar injustices in their families that contacted me and were asking for help and asking for advice. And then obviously I set up an NGO helping those people. Um, they've been doing that for like the, the you know, since um, 2016. And, um, you know, that, it, again, I mean, it's the, the, the craziness of the situation is that you know, we were approached by a lady called Princess Latifa Al-Maktoum, who's the daughter of the ruler who has escaped Dubai to help her. You know, so you go from being locked up in their jails to, to effectively working for the daughter of the ruler. And then the first wife of the ruler also contacted us, a lady called Randall Albana, and asked us um, for, for help in the abuse that she suffered for the last four decades. Um, you know, by the way, I mean, Randa is the um, mother-in-law of the owner of Man City. So, you know, I had a horrifically negative experience, but it's now enabled me to help so many people um, that are suffering injustices and abuse. And so, you know, people say, you know, if you could change anything, would you? And as weird as it sounds to have gone through that horrible experience, the fact that I can really now help people um, and, and, you know, I've literally managed to get people out of jail home and safe, that, that kind of makes it all worthwhile. Absolutely. And although you had left Leeds, GFHL had a 25% stake in Leeds at the time, with Salino being the majority stakeholder with 75%. However, despite Salino publicly stating that he was going to buy back Thorpe Arch and buy back Ellen Road, he never did. And obviously you can't really speak for him on his behalf for not doing that. However, do you think it has something to do with GFH's continued involvement in the club? I mean, like when I was there, like I said, I mean, it was impossible. You know, I think Massimo was the only one that would get into bed with Leeds. No one else would. Um, and, you know, I remember very well, you know, effectively you told me, I mean, and you wouldn't, had Massimo himself funded the purchase of, you know, the training ground then and, and, and the stadium, then GFH would have had 25% of that. So why would you? He wanted to get rid of them first to purchase it because, they, you know, they weren't prepared to put money up. As, and, and that was always the problem. Um, so I remember that very well. And, you know, no one else would. You, you're not going to go and pay someone else's bills for them, are you? Um, and, you, you know, so, and plus, if you'd done that, it would have made their 25% worth so much more and then ultimately, when he wanted to get rid of them, he'd have had to pay more money to them for increasing the value of their investment by buying the ground. So it was, you know, why would he? Um, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. Um, and I, you know, it would have also been a dangerous move because they are real estate investors, and then they would have had the real estate to look at. So you know, it was very, very would have been a very silly thing to do. So I understood that. Um, but you know, that for me, as I mentioned before, was always one of the things that I thought was absolutely crazy. You had a real estate investor from the Gulf who had the perfect real estate op you know, investment opportunity, particularly when the option um, was, was there for Ellen Road, when you could have purchased the, the, the stadium for a significantly reduced price on what it was actually worth. Yet instead of doing that, you know, they, they go and pay 11, 12 million pounds for a posh flat in London at the same time. You know, I mean, because I, I just, yeah, craziness. And Leeds' current owner is, of course, Andre Radrazani. He purchased 100% of Leeds in May 2017, which forced Cellino to buy out GFH's stake of 25% to make the deal easier, meaning that after six years, GFH finally had no longer involvement with the club. And obviously, once again, of course, you can't speak behalf of Leeds, but how important do you think it was for the club to get them out and find investors who could progress the club without them lurking in the background? 
I think it was critical. I mean, you, you, even from my own experience, no one wanted, to, people either wanted to own all of it, but no one wanted to be alongside them because they've got, A, because they've got a bad reputation, but B, you know, just from, from looking at the facts of, of what they did when they were there and, you know, their ethics, their morals, their, even their, their lack of experience in terms of business running a club, things like that, it was just, it was just madness. So if you're an investor that wants to take things forward, that wants to you know, improve the club, but also the value of your investment. Why would you want to sit alongside, a, excuse my French, but a bunch of plonkers? Um, you know, I mean, so I, I saw it, you know, I saw many, many times we would get people that were interested in the club, many, many times, and all of them didn't want to deal with GFH. Um, and, you know, for, for all the reasons that I've mentioned. Um, and, and that's why we ultimately decided to try and put this together as a consortium to get rid of them to then bring other people in. Um, you know, and so, you know, I think it's, it's obviously great that the, the, you know, the new owner has got the club and taken it forward as, 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 as happened. That's fantastic. Um, you know, that would have never happened if you'd had GFH lurking in the background. And obviously the events of Leeds United during that period was almost fully down to GFH because of their, like we mentioned, lack of finances and everything else, what we spoke of. But do you feel any responsibility at all for bringing in GFH to the pitcher at Leeds? I mean, obviously, you know, I, I mean, yeah, of course, in terms of responsibility, I'm the one that did the negotiations. You know, at the time, you know, I was also led to believe, you know, being, 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 you know, an English person with, with, you know, having family from Leeds, you know, I, I was not about to bring in someone that was going to screw over one of the, the, the biggest football clubs in the world. So, you know, I was kind of hoodwinked into believing there were real people behind the scenes and that this would be done and of course no we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have real people etc but it you know it became clear to me that that wasn't the case after I was there so you know of course I brought them in um but then you know I think everyone you know in, in Leeds history has an important part to play um you know, you know even from Ken I mean GFH period wasn't great but they bought you know they bought the club from Ken they took it you know they kept it I don't want to even say steady, but they kept it um, existing, um, you know, for a period of time, and then obviously brought in Massimo, who then passed it on to the, the new owner. Um, so, you know, it's obviously gone through the, the, the cathartic journey, but each of those people have obviously got roles to play. So, of course, I'm responsible for bringing in GFH, but hopefully, I'm also responsible for getting rid of them, um, which, which is one of the things that you know was very keen to me that I needed to do by by getting a new owner, in, you know, even if it was someone like Massimo. This final section of the show is where our followers get to ask their questions to our guests by commenting on our LUFC fans on Instagram post. Each episode, we select four questions which are commented and put them forward to our guest. This week's first question comes from Sam, who asks, Over the years, there have been a few stories about you growing up in both Salford and Beeston, and the truth have never really been found. But would you be able to shed some light on where you did actually grow up? Yeah, I mean... This, I, I think a lot of things happens with, with press and fans and things like that, that things get twisted. And, you know, often you get press writing stories that, you know, completely untrue. I mean, effectively, you know, I was born in Salford, in Manchester, never lived there. My parents um, basically were from, from Leeds, as, as were their, their, their family. And I wasn't, you know, I grew up in Leeds, but I was very, very, very tiny, you know, like one or two. And I really don't remember anything. And so that, that's, the, that's the, the kind of the, the background. Um, and then it's been misreported in so many places. I mean, I've been called things like Beast and Dave and then Man United scum and all, all those kind of things. Um, but that's the situation. And, and like I said, sometimes you get 
you know, kind of journalists that kind of misreport things and whatnot. But yeah. This week's second question comes from Freddie, who asks, when it was rumoured that Jeff featuring talks are by Leeds, you did an interview stating that Leeds were similar to Pamela Anderson, stating that they're in great shape, had great assets and had a great future ahead. And it was also reported that she was close to visiting Ellen Road for a PR stunt. Was that ever true? And how did the link between Pamela Anderson and Leeds come about? Yeah, no, I did say that. I think it was I was talking to a, a Sun reporter, um, and and from, from memory, I think it was a Sun, and they were asking me, you know, why GFH looked at them, why Leeds and things like that. And I'd said other comments as well. Um, and then I just kind of, you know, I'm a big, you know, coming from the eighties, I'm a big kind of Pamela Anderson fan. Um, Bay, Baywatch and all that. And and you know, for, for whatever reason, Pam Ranison was in my head at that time, and and it just kind of came out, and I just thought they would never get reported. And it obviously got picked up. It's a perfect tabloid comment, and it kind of went viral after a while. I mean, I remember there was like, there was like they did some sports shows when they were like asking people, you know, what what football club is your actress or your this, um, and obviously that was that was good because it got positive publicity for the club, um, it, you know, nice publicity for Pam Ranison as well, um, and you know, I thought that was the you know, so it worked out to be quite a good story, and then. At the time, there were there were moves underfoot for her to come and visit the club, um, you know, because of that. Which again would have been nice. It's positive. It's positive energy. It's something nice. Um, but it was scuppered by um, the Islamic Bank um, in, in in Bahrain on the grounds of you can't possibly do that. Blah 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 blah. But which was a shame because you know it would have been one of my you know dream come true for me to to meet Emma. Next up is Emma, who asks, given that you understandably feel very strongly about inclusivity especially within the Middle East and Asia, as your current campaign show. What were your feelings about Leeds United touring Myanmar in 2018, which was a clear PR stunt to increase Leeds' branding in Myanmar and Asia, a country which is well-renowned for having poor human rights and ethnic cleansing records? I, mean, I think there's, there's, there's several ways that you can deal with um, you know, um, visiting or, or doing business with countries that have human rights records you know there's an awful lot of countries around the world that have a very poor human rights record you know and you know some people could argue, even argue at some points in in england the, the, the way that we respect human rights is not as it should be you look at julian assange for instance people would argue that that britain's um abuses human rights but let's focus on you know the real despotic regimes like kind of like the uae and you know you look at somewhere like um brunei for instance brunei also owns you know hotels like dorchester etc etc um you can boycott them and put them out in the cold and be like, go over there, we're not going to talk to you, and you carry on being tyrannical and despotic, and we're not going to engage with you at all. You know, in a similar way to what, um, you know, America used to do with, with, with North Korea. Um, is that going to improve the situation, or is that going to make it worse if, if you isolate these people? Um, or another way that you can move forward is that you can engage with them and try and educate them of the need to improve and change. Um, so, you know, whilst... You know, it's disappointing when you see um, people supporting those regimes, provided that there is some benefit from it. So, for instance, you know, if by doing that, um, you, you know, the, the club had gone there and tried to educate and improve inclusivity and, and show the real way forward in terms of human rights. And there's a positive that can be got out of that. And, you know, uh, that, that's happening quite a lot in countries like the Middle East at the moment. You see, for instance, with the, the state of Qatar, which is, as, as you know, holding the World Cup. Um, they've um, changed lots of laws recently in terms of um, protection of workers. They've changed laws and introducing reforms, um, you know, all across the board. And that's why you've seen the likes of people like Human Rights Watch, um, you know, one of the, the, the biggest human, human rights charities, 
actually go and visit them. You know, a lot of people would have been like, what are you doing going to a country in the Middle East that does X, Y, and Z? But if you want that country to change and improve, then you've got to engage with them um, because isolating them isn't going to do that. So provided there was some form of engagement, um, you know, that's something that could have, you know, you, you know, could have been done. And this week's final question comes from Rob, who asks, whilst you were at the club, things probably didn't go as you would have hoped. However, what was your greatest moment that you took part in whilst you were at Leeds United? I think, you know, I think I remember the first, um, so the first uh, match, um, I think we were playing Brighton from memory, um, that I was managing director of. We got a record crowd outside the Premier League. So that was, you know, that was, that was a big day because that was one of the things that I wanted to improve all the time. I wanted to get more people in the stadium. You know, I wanted to see it full every day. So we put in lots of initiatives where we, you know, we would give reduced tickets to, you know, people from the forces, people from the NHS, et cetera. You know, we'd rather have people in than, than empty seats. So, you know, it was a record-breaking crowd. So that was, you know, for me, one of the, the, the big moments. And the other was obviously the work that we did with Robbie Rogers and Stonewall. Um, and, and as I said earlier, you know, that was you know, seven years ago. And only this month you've seen, you know, Premier League clubs follow that seven years later. So I think it shows you that we were far in the head in a way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are the, the two of the, 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 the proud moments. There's, there's lots of others, than, you know, small things like, you know, helping fans out, bringing people up to the director's box and, you know, make their day and things like that that I remember. Um, but but those are the two big ones. And that ends today's episode. Thank you to everyone for sending your questions and thank you so much for your time, David. It's been great to speak to you. Pleasure. Thank you. We'll be back next week with another guest. Stay tuned for the post over on our LAFC Fan Zone Instagram later this week. Thanks for listening.